0: I'm sorry when I've come with my agenda. I'm sorry when I forgot that you're enough. Take me back to where we started. just want to sit here at your feet. I'm caught up in this holy moment, Lord. I never wanted it. Oh, and I'm not here for bless.
1: community church my name is Ryan Sylvia I am the student ministries director and I would just love to welcome you to this online digital service we at La Jolla Community Church offer three wonderful opportunities for you to engage in worship and in ministry. The first opportunity that we have is actually right here online. We have a weekly online service that usually gets posted in the evening. The beginning will have a beautiful, beautiful worship set that we have recorded and put together for you guys, followed by a weekly message led by Pastor Steve. These are wonderful, poignant messages that speak to the life and the heart of our church. The other two options you have for worship are actually here in person on campus, first being at 9 a.m. We have a morning service, uh, worship to start, followed by a message by Pastor Steve. Uh, Everybody is on the lawn, socially distanced. Everybody wears their mask, and everybody is safe and healthy. The second option we have after we sanitize and clean every chair and table that gets used, we have an 11.30 a.m. family service led by myself, Um, and it focuses a little bit more on the kids, so the service is a little zanier, a little more high-end. But if any of those sound interesting to you, please feel free to join. And of course, if you have any questions, feel free to email us at info at ljcc.org. Hope everybody has a wonderful, wonderful day, and we hope to see you at one of our amazing worship opportunities.
2: Christ is risen, now what? That's what we're talking about. What difference does the resurrection make if it's the defining moment in human history, the defining event in human history? Outrageous and audacious to say that. But think about it. If Jesus took the sins of the world upon himself as an atoning sacrifice on our behalf, was crucified dead and buried, not just figuratively, poetically buried or dead, but clinically dead, physically dead. And then on the third day he, he, he is raised from the dead and makes appearances and releases, releases this resurrection power among people. What would be the implications of that? Wouldn't that be Uh, the most significant event in human history because all of a sudden we have the very power of God personally in us, empowering us, leading us, guiding us through His Holy Spirit so that anything we turn our attention to, anything we give uh, our effort to is not just our best effort, but it's the power of God working in us and through us. So that's why I say that the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and our experience of it Is a defining moment in human history and it's certainly a defining moment in our personal history. So what do we do with that? Now what? Well uh, one of the things we want to talk about and we'll talk about it today is we need to let go of things that hold us back. One of the things that we discover uh, through God's word based on the resurrection of Jesus is that this power was not to impress. Gee look at Jesus rose again from the dead. The power of God is meant to bless. That is to transform us with his abiding presence in us and through us. Crazy new category of considering life. Uh, Fanciful uh, and threatening because it means that I don't have what it takes. Now all of us in our heart of hearts know we don't have what it takes. Uh, How do you know that? Well because ask anybody are you perfect? Are you a perfect spouse? Are you a perfect parent? Uh, Are you perfect at whatever field of endeavor you've committed yourself to? Well, no, I work hard. I try my best. Of course. Yeah, great. But are you perfect? Uh, Well, no, obviously not. I guess you don't have what it takes. So God gives us what we need to do the things he has equipped us and called us to do. Not that we'll be perfect, but we'll be alive in him and have his power bringing us to a place of clarity about who we are, who he is, and what that means for the practical way, the functional way, we live our life, and in some and and someday, we will be like him. Uh, we'll be completely transformed. And so this is what we've been talking about in Colossians chapter three, verses one to four. Uh, you might want to go back and read that. Colossians three, verses one to four. We pick it up uh, in verses five to eleven today uh, about letting go of things that hold us back. Let me put it as an imperative: Let go of things that hold you back. How? the power of the resurrection. We'll talk about that right now. So the Apostle Paul gives us a practical answer to the question, now what? We see this, as I said, in Colossians chapter 3, verses uh, 5 to 11. Put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature, and now he gives us this list of things, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed, which is idolatry. Because of these, the wrath of God is coming. You used to walk in these things in the life you once lived. But now you must also rid yourselves of all such things as these. Anger, rage, malice, slander, and filthy language from your lips. Do not lie to each other, since you have taken off your old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge in the image of the Creator." Here, there is no Gentile or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave or free. But Christ is all and is in all. Well, let's, let's take this apart. Let's look at the, the verses so that we understand the whole of this, of this impactful uh, passage. Put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature... Uh, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed, which is idolatry. Uh, <clears throat> basically, on both these lists we see we see a, a, a grouping of sins that have an enormous impact in shaping our identity and either enhancing our, our personhood or diminishing our personhood. Uh, building us up as people or destroying us as people. And so this isn't a Uh, God is a downer list. This is a we are in danger list, right? Uh, Sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, greed, uh, any form of idolatry destroys us. So God is not saying I need to withhold from you things that you might really get a lot out of and enjoy. He's saying these are the things, the corruptions of good things uh, that will destroy you. And so embracing sin is like a thirsty person drinking salt water. How would that work for you? If you've read the stories of people uh, out on boats for weeks at a time, uh, they're desperately needed water. If you drink salt water, it's not a good thing. It doesn't go well. It'll kill you. Not all water is good. If you're out in the desert and you, get, and you find water, you want to know, is this a poisoned water or is this pure water? Uh, immoral sexuality is like poisonous mushrooms. Not all mushrooms are equal. I love mushrooms. Maybe you do too. They, they, they bring a great umami effect to whatever you add them to. On their own, they're delicious. But if you eat the wrong mushrooms, you die. Yeah, but they're all mushrooms. Not all mushrooms are equal. And not all water is good. Uh, and so sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, greed, any form of idolatry, these are dopamine triggers with diminishing returns and bad outcomes. The dopamine uh, effect is that I feel so alive. It's like your first day with heroin is your best day with heroin, right? Your first day with with cocaine, your first day with anything that inherently is going to poison you and destroy you. It starts high. This is awesome, I'm euphoric. Oxycontin. Think of the people whose lives have been destroyed because they said, I finally have had such a relief from pain. And then immediately their life became a pain and often led to their own death or certainly the diminishment and and the destruction of the life that they yearned for. So pursuing sexual immorality, evil and greed is a form of idolatry. And modern idols aren't made of wood or stone. We think of idolatry as you're worshiping that statue, you're worshiping that feature in the landscape. No, modern idols are toxic attachments and toxic behaviors. Toxic attachments and toxic behaviors. Toxic is not necessarily uh, chemically toxic, it can be psychologically toxic, emotionally toxic. It's where we get uh, the whole interesting uh, topic of, of boundaries, uh, of, of codependency, uh, of addiction. Modern idols aren't made of wood or stone, but they're made of uh, toxic attachments and toxic behaviors. An attachment is something that we invest ourselves in. We look to it for meaning, for solace, for comfort. for release, for a sense of reprieve from the pressures and the pain that we might be facing in life. But they're false promises, right? Uh, er Earthly nature, uh, when he says... you know, put to death therefore whatever belongs to your earthly nature. Uh, he's not talking about your personhood. He's talking about the sin-tainted nature. The part of us that we, we realize is our, is our worst enemy. That earthly, those, these earthly things are things that preoccupy us, entrance us, but will, again, crush us, destroy us. Like a person, a thirsty person yearning for salt water. A person eating something that they know will kill them. See, Jesus came to rescue us from that. Why? Because he loves us. He made us for something better than self-destruction or destroying one another. We're made for righteousness, to be in a right relationship with God, with ourselves, with other people, with all creation. But it's just out of reach. We try to grab it, but it's just out of reach. We make approximations to it. And that's why we're really big uh, as people about comparison. See, I'm better than you, so I'm, I'm good enough. The fact is, if we all fall short of the glory of God, we're all in serious jeopardy. That's the message of the gospel. We are in serious jeopardy, but God is bridging that gap. He alone can and will provide the righteousness that we need to live the life that we were created for. Does this get your attention? I hope so. I hope this resonates with you. Uh, that, that you were made for something better uh, than what we often experience. And that's why earlier Paul said, look at heaven. Uh, put, keep your eyes on things above. Not to the neglect of, of your responsibilities and roles in the, in the day-to-day world. But unless you understand that larger orientation, you miss the perspective you need in this world. So we're made for righteousness, but it's just out of reach, so we grab whatever we can. We Settle for less. And so in turning to God, what we're doing is acknowledging our absolute need for His absolute grace. Lord, it's not like I kind of need you. I absolutely need you. It's not that you give me a little bit of grace. You give me absolute grace. That is, it's a game-changing experience coming into a relationship with God in Christ. What, he, what we couldn't do, taking the sins of us on ourselves and, and, and atoning for them, you can't do that. A perfect sacrifice is what God gave us in Christ. Taking the sins of the world upon Himself, breaking the power of sin and death over us. We see the residual vestiges of sin and death, but He's broken the power. It no longer defines us or adequately describes us. So in turning to God, we acknowledge that. His absolute grace meets our absolute need. It's a fantastic thing. And so, when Christ, God saves us, forgives us, restores us to a relationship with Himself, our sinful nature is technically now powerlessness, I mean, excuse me, powerless uh, to control us, but continues to afflict us. Why? Because <clears throat> we're so used to thinking in terms of these, these um, uh, default responses that we have that we think that's who I have to be. And there's a sense of comfort I know, I know what this is like. This is why often people in abusive relationships return to those relationships. I'm comfortable there. How could you be comfortable when somebody's threatening your life and making you miserable? Yeah, but I know this. I don't know what's out there. This is how crazy our 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 sinful nature becomes that we start to become irrational or we rationalize the irrational. Our sinful nature is now powerless to control us, but it does continue to afflict us. And that's why Paul's saying, put this to death. Let it die. Stop feeding it. Don't let it have priority in your life. These are empty calories. (laughs) This this is bad for you. So, put to death means not giving life support to things that destroy you. And that's a continuum. They're they're not things that immediately destroy you, Uh, an adulterous affair. Uh, a sexual relationship outside of marriage, uh, a perversion of our, of our sexual needs, uh, a misappropriation, misapp- a misapplication of those. won't destroy you like that, maybe, but it, it becomes this process of destruction. You start to lose your identity. You lose your dignity. You, you lose your sense of who you are. Sin won't meet your needs because it can't meet your needs. Sin promises to meet needs in us that are real needs. It's just that it can't really meet those needs. And what it does is says, uh, do this and, and this will meet your needs. And when it doesn't, uh, we become captured uh, by sin. But sin has been crushed by, by Christ on the cross. So why is it powerful? It's only as powerful as we give it power over us it's deadly, but really it's dead. We don't have to obey sin's impulses anymore. As much as our bodies say, you should do this. I need this. You can say no. Not just just say no, but you can learn new ways to live that allow you to put to death whatever belongs to your earthly nature. It's not denying your humanity. Don't don't misunderstand me. I'm not saying deny your, your humanity. Those normal needs, wants, and desires of being a fully alive person. But understand what will really truly make you fully alive and not actually destroy you in the process. So sin won't meet our needs because it can't meet our needs. And these habits are hard to break because they're integrated into our psyche. And so what do we do? Since we get frustrated that we can't change ourselves or that now that in Christ we we, we believe that he's going to change us like that, it takes longer than we like We start to fall back into those old patterns, those old habits, because they are familiar and comforting in their own way. And so we minimize, we rationalize, we trivialize the deadly effects of sin. In so doing, we mock God. That's what idolatry is. It mocks God. It says, God, you're not worthy of my worship. You're not worthy of my respect. You're not worthy of me submitting myself to your authority and living under your purposes. I think I'll, I'll substitute this for you, that for you. That's what idols do. I think I've found a better version of the Lord than you. I'm swapping you out. I'm canceling you in favor of this or that. That's what idolatry is. That's why we are all naturally idolatrous, always looking for a better deal. And so it says, because of these things, the wrath of God is coming. Well, that sounds scary. There's an angry God stomping around looking for victims. No, it's not what it's about. The wrath of God is coming. Now, now think of it this way: Uh, Have you ever said, "I wish God would just—if there's a God—I wish He would just remove all evil from the world." Why doesn't He just remove all sin from the world? And it's—it's an interesting point of view because the assumption inherent in that, and I remember myself, you know, saying this, would be: I'm assuming I'd survive if God purged all sin from the world, took all evil out of the world. I'm assuming I'd still be standing, saying it's a lot better. (laughs) I'd be gone. Every one of us. Again, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. The glory of God is what the wrath of God is. God's glory is experienced as wrath if you're evil. Like the, the, like the sunlight dissipates the darkness, it's gone. If darkness was a, 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 a creature, an evil creature, and, 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 and sunlight was you know, perfection, then every time the sun showed up, the darkness is destroyed. It's the wrath of the sun, right? It's just the inherent goodness of the sun or the power of the sun. So when we talk about the wrath of God, we're talking about the glory of God among us. But when it's unleashed, when you get a full dose of the glory of God, it destroys anybody who doesn't have that glory inherent to them. We assume if God simply removed all evil from the world, we'd survive it. And he will sort it all out in the end for sure. because He wants And he's waiting, and he's giving all the time it takes because he wants no one to perish. But don't, don't misunderstand the fact that, that none of us can stand up to the glory of God and live to talk about it. When people in, 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 in the Bible are described as having a, a, a vision of God or an experience of God through one of his messengers, an angel, you see how undone they are. They fall on their face. They say, Oh my gosh, it's over for me. And that's just a tiny little taste of how powerful the glory of God is. And so if we saw the full glory of God, it would it would shatter us unless we share in that glory. That power is resident in us. Years ago, uh there's a submarine uh called the Thresher. And uh there was an, an incident and what happened was it was crushed. It was crushed. What happened? Because the pressure within the, 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 the submarine uh, was less powerful than the pressure outside of it. See, so when a su- submarine is working perfectly, there's pressure in it that withstands the pressure coming against it. And that's what the glory of God does. Filling us with the glory of God gives us what we need to function in God's uh, glorious presence. He provides that. Our sinful nature rejects that. And it's only as we say, Lord, your will be done that we experience the transformational power of God in us. That's the power of the resurrection. It's not a small power, an insignificant power. We're talking about a shattering, life-changing, transformational power. It's a power that heals. It's a power that blesses. It's a power that brings Qualities like love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control into our lives. So God's wrath is the impact of his glory, his holiness, his compassion, his justice. His, his wrath is the effect of his perfect goodness. A whole new way of thinking about it, the wrath of God, isn't it? And our conscience reflects this reality. We, we are made in the image of God, and though we're separated from God by sin and tainted by this sin nature... We still have the vestiges of God's image in us so that our conscience warns us when something isn't good. And, and even in our, in our sinful nature, the way we experience that is often a distorted experience. Shame. But guilt is a healthy thing. I've done something wrong. What do I need to do to restore a relationship, to make it right? Our conscience is an indicator that we resonate with God's inherent goodness. Your conscience is a gift. Now what happens if you crush your conscience? What happens if you keep doing things that harden your conscience, that diminish your conscience? Well, the ultimate outcome of that is depravity. We all have in us uh, the capacity for depravity, for doing evil things. And we, uh, if they're minimal, we say, oh, they're little things and white lies. But we all have this capacity to, outra- to do outrageous things. That's why we talk about nature versus Nurture why it's so important to raise children properly so that they have the tools, the skills they need to resist human potential for depravity, to have an alive conscience that allows them to recover quickly uh, when they've, they've gone astray, when they've uh, betrayed goodness. And so we feel the pull of his goodness in our conscience. You lose that, you lose your humanity. Uh, we have words for that. Uh, a psychopath, a sociopath, a person who no longer has a capacity for empathy. It's a shell of a human being. It's a complete distortion of a human being. So think of God's wrath as as the impact of His glory, His holiness, His compassion, His justice. In Christ, God wraps us up in His righteousness and restores us to life, God-quality life. And so we're not afraid of the wrath of God because now we're experiencing the power of God, the goodness of God that inherently uh, is experienced as a gift, not as wrath. We're responding to the gift of life that God himself gives us. So we're not afraid of the wrath of God. That is the power of his glory revealed because he's preparing us to experience it fully. Uh, earlier uh, in uh, the first, uh, second verse of, of Colossians 3, uh, Paul said our life is hidden with God and Christ. That is God is doing this work in us to transform us. And we'll see who we really are. It says when Christ returns in glory, Right. And so we won't experience the glory of Christ as the wrath of God. We'll experience that glory as, oh my gosh, that's what I've become inside. That's who I am now in Christ. And So he begins a good work in us and brings it to completion. Paul says it this way when he writes in his letter to the Philippians, chapter 1, verse 6. He says, we can be confident of all this stuff because he who began a good work in us will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. It's God's work in us that gives us the power to Put to death these sins to say I have no more, to rid ourselves of, of other kinds of behaviors that are that are counterproductive, that are that are against God's will. And so the the big idea here is that we must we've got to focus on God's work in us, not on our sin. You focus on your sin, be aware of your sin, confess your sin, repent of your sin. If we if we confess our sins, it says God is faithful and just; will forgive us our sins and cleanse us of all unrighteousness. That's uh, 1 John one eight. But the idea is we're not focusing on our sin, we're focusing on Him. Lord, here is my sin, I confess, I repent. Versus, here's my sin, isn't it beautiful? Let's just focus on my sin. No, you focus on God. And so it's the power of His resurrection that allows us to focus on Him. Not denying our sin like we we're more comfortable doing, oh, what sin? Or being enamored of our sin, I can never get away from it. But rather saying, this is what I'm capable of doing, I offer it to you, Lord. In an act of confession and repentance. I'm really not focusing on my sin anymore. I just got to try better. Do 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 better. I'm focusing on the Lord. So he, Paul says, "You used to walk in these ways in the so-called life you once lived." There's a there's a bit of you know quotation marks in this in this phrase in the life you the, quote life you once lived. You think that's life? It's not life. You used to walk in these ways. The, all those things on those two lists that used to describe you. He's writing. He's saying to these Colossian people. A lot of them had obviously come out of a pagan culture. And now they're learning to walk with Christ. He used to walk in these ways in the life he once lived. We don't do that anymore. We have a new walk. Though we're still in the same world. We're walking differently in it because we're walking with Christ in it. You no longer need to walk in those old ways. You no longer need to die for them or die because of them is a better alternative. It's to live free, to set our hearts and minds on things above. That's what Paul has set us up for. And now this section, of verses 5 to 11, is showing us practical implications of that. Here's what it looks like to set your hearts and minds on things above. You, you put to death these things, you get rid of these other things. And so um, it, it, the gospel isn't do better, it isn't try harder, and though that's a great thing, hey, always good to try harder and do better but that's not going to cut it. If it it did, we wouldn't have needed Christ to be our Savior. We would just need more willpower, more discipline. But fruitful righteousness, being in a right relationship internally, in company with other people, with God, with all creation, comes from submitting ourselves to Christ and learning to abide in Him. Uh, At that last supper uh, He had with His disciples, He said to them, "You know, if you abide in Me, you'll bear much fruit. If you don't abide in me, you'll die. Pretty simple. And we're invited to abide in him. He's not threatening us, you know, if you don't abide in me, you're out. He's saying, abide in me. Because not abiding in me is to be out. And he's not saying, you should be perfect in me. He's saying, be in a relationship with me. God invites us into this relationship. That's what the absolute grace is all about. It's not because we earned it, we deserve it. We can't even get to it. It's beyond our reach, remember? He says, I invite you to experience this, my gift to you. So abiding in him is simply responding to that gift. As a brand new believer, Lord, I accept you into my life today as a person who's known it for a long time. Lord, yet again, I'm confessing my sin and repenting. I'm coming back into alignment with you. I love the way uh, Jesus said it in the, in the what we call the uh, Sermon on the Mountain. This is Matthew 11, uh, 29. Matthew's Gospel, chapter 11, verse 29. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. So we're, we're called into this transformational experience of salvation, believing in Christ, that then immediately puts us into a learning process, a development process with Christ. He's brought us into a right relationship, right standing with him, and now he's going to teach us how to actually live into it and to fully appropriate it. Progress now, perfection later. The Spirit of God leads us into a new way of experiencing our true humanity, not by disconnecting from the world. I don't need the world anymore. I'm removing myself from it. No. But, but connecting us to his life at work in us by faith in this world. See, In the life you actually live, you're, you're in this laboratory of transformation with the living God. So it's not about, Lord, how am I doing? It's, Lord, I'm so glad you're doing what you're doing. I want to pay closer attention. We realize we're wandering off and being distracted. Initially, you can't help but be discouraged. Oh, Lord, I thought I was beyond that. Look what I did. Look what I said. Look what I'm thinking. Rather, that just is a call back to, okay, I need to focus on you natural proclivity is to go off on tangents. I need to focus on you. To respond to your love. And so genuine spiritual growth empowers us to break free from sin's oppressive chains. It's not a self-improvement program. It's simply a process of transformation because we're walking with God. We're paying attention to him. We're learning his ways. We're learning to apply them. And uh, when we don't get it right, we just get up and keep at it because he's right in us. Genuine spiritual growth empowers us to break free from sin's oppressive chains. Break every chain. And so now Paul uh, continues with that second list. He says, but, but now you must also rid yourselves of all such things as these anger, rage, malice, slander, filthy language from your lips. Don't lie to each other. Since you've taken off your old self with its practices and and put on the new self which is being renewed in knowledge in the image of its creator. See that's the knowledge of God and the image of God in us. Christ in us through his Holy Spirit. Father, Son, Holy Spirit ministering grace to us. That's what it means to say renewed in knowledge in the image of its creator. It's God's work in us that we get to respond to and cooperate with. So this is where our agency and effort cooperate with God's work in us. We say, yes, Lord, here I am. Like Isaiah in the temple, here I am, send me. Jesus says, follow me. We follow him. He corrects us. He instructs us. He encourages us. It's a learning development relationship. That's human agency. I get to choose. I get to say yes. Even when I feel like saying no, I want to leave. I want to give up. I'm I'm not up to the task. I don't have what it takes. As soon as we say that, we realize that's right. He has what it takes. And he's giving it to me if I just trust in him. So This is where we want to invest our creative energy and do our most constructive work in life to say, Lord, what can I do to cooperate with this incredibly beautiful work you're doing in me? What are the things I can learn and practice? How can I find accountability and encouragement from people around me, support from people around me so that I can stay focused? How can I give that to other people? How can I share this experience with other people that I'm a work in progress and that they're welcome to be also a work in progress with you? And so we get to put on the new self. We get to embrace this new life. We get to stop submitting to our old dead nature and start submitting to the risen Christ. And so fix your eyes on Christ, not on your sins or anybody else's. Sin is just a symptom of a fallen world. Don't fixate on that. Fix your eyes on Christ, the Savior, the substance of this new life. Jesus is Savior. His grace, his love, his power allows us to resist sin and rely on God. It's, it's, it's three steps forward and two steps back a lot of the time. But we're going where only he can lead us. We're going where only he can take us. He is the way, the truth, and the life. He leads us and guides us in everlasting life starting right now. So it's not about levels of spiritual accomplishment. I'm at level 2, I'm at level 10. No. There's no such thing as levels of spiritual accomplishment. And when humans uh, create systems like that, it's counterproductive. It becomes its own form of idolatry. Look what I'm doing. So it's not levels of spiritual accomplishment. It's a life of spiritual transformation. It's an organic, relational experience of the living God. That's why a person can walk with Christ for 50 years and say, I still you know um, uh, I, I can lose my temper inappropriately. I can uh, be tempted in ways that I'm surprised. By the way, temptation is not a sin. It's submitting ourselves to temptation. It's a sin. Temptation is inevitable. And So when a person uh, is asked, a mature Christian is asked, gee, are you ever tempted? Well, of course I'm tempted. The issue isn't, am I tempted? I'm not at some spiritual level I don't get tempted. I'm in a spiritual experience of transformation. I've learned to, to, to cope with temptations in a way uh, that I wouldn't have been able to do in an earlier part of my life. But I'm still tempted and I can still fail and therefore I still confess I still repent. And so he finally says this, and, and not finally, but he says this at the end of this, this passage, verses 5 to 11. This is very powerful. I want to leave you with this. He says, here in this new life in this new community with Christ, in the context of his kingdom, there is no Gentile or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised. Jews were circumcised, Gentiles were not circumcised. There's no barbarian or Scythian. Uh, A barbarian was what a Greek would call anybody not Greek. Oh, you're a barbarian. And worse than a barbarian, what do the barbarians say? If a barbarian wanted to put somebody down, they'd go, oh, you're a Scythian. The Romans would say to somebody, oh, uh, you're a Scythian. We can always find somebody to say, oh, that's not, oh, it's not me. I don't want to be that. It's horrible. But there's no Gentile or Jew, no circumcised or uncircumcised, no barbarian, no Scythian, no slave or free, but Christ is all. And if you've received him as Lord and Savior, Christ is in all. So The gospel is for everyone everywhere, but sin alienates us from one another and we jockey for position and power by saying, oh, you're that and you're not me. And I'm better than you so race and ethnicity are human markers for sorting out the world. They're human markers. There's no biological basis for race or ethnicity. These are cultural factors. And they can be fantastic, right? Uh, what's, no, what, what, what's not to love about the creative diversity we see among people? If you drop me in a, in, a, in a room with a bunch of Koreans eating Korean barbecue, and they're laughing and talking, having a good time, you give me enough time and I'm feeling like, hey, I might be Korean. You put me in a village in Malawi, and I'm, I'm laughing and talking with brothers and sisters in Malawi, and they're getting me up to dance and sing, and I'm just horrible at it, and, and we're laughing so hard at my bad singing and dancing that we're, we're just uh, feeling closer to each other, and we're eating food, and we're, we're talking and telling stories, and it turns out we laugh and cry at the same things, and all of a sudden I'm saying, gosh, you know, isn't it great to be united in Christ? But different languages, different cultural um, artifacts, different cultural expressions, different foods, but the same humanity. And this is what Paul says. The gospel breaks through all those artificial constructs and speaks to the heart of every single person. And so if I say, oh my gosh, this is my Greek friend, but we're brothers in Christ. This is my Malawian friend, but we're, 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 we're brothers and sisters in Christ. Those cultural things, as interesting as they are, are no longer definitive or adequately descriptive. Because we're in Christ, and Christ is in us. Our sin and depravity turns race and ethnicity into distrust and disharmony in our fallen nature. This offends God, it hurts people, and so Paul is articulating this new creation in Christ. I don't diminish a person's ethnicity or race. Oh, you know, you don't have to be African anymore. You can be Christian, whatever that is. No. You say, isn't it great that as an African person... You know Christ, and you're teaching me how to be a better follower of Jesus as a person who grew up in uh, an Irish-English family, right? So don't diminish that. Uh, uh, the worst thing you can say to a, a woman is, you know, uh, you're so much a friend that I don't even think of you as a woman anymore. You're like one of the guys. That's an insult. You miss the fact that this woman is part of her identity, but it's not the defining aspect of her identity her humanity, and her relationship with Christ is. So, wow, it's such a gift to know you. You're such a godly woman. Such a delight to be in relationship with you. So we see the differences among us, but we don't see those as barriers. We see those as bridges linking us together in Christ under his lordship. And So he wants us to flourish and thrive in his love and his grace, be grounded in his truth, which exposes and confronts idolatry wherever we run into it, internally or externally. He proclaims our inherent worth and dignity made clear in Christ, redeemed by Christ, reestablished by Christ through his resurrection. Sin defaces our worth and dignity, but he is forming us into the body of Christ, a holy temple offering worship to God experiencing the the joy of life in him. This is the good news in Christ. This is the gospel of Jesus Christ. So I'll leave you with this question. In what way, if any, right now, is sin causing you shame, heartache, discouragement, or despair? In what way are you bumping up into some things in you and around you, evoking responses in you that you say, you know what, it's my old nature leaking out. I'm feeling shame and heartache and discouragement, despair. Name it, bring it to Christ. Confess it, repent of it. Confessing just says, "This is what it is, Lord." Repenting is saying, "And I'm turning my attention to You. I'm aligning with You." And continue learning how to overcome. Seek wise counsel. Find the encouragement, support, and accountability of a community of people with whom you can be honest and say, "Look, I'm re- I'm really struggling with this." And what you'll find out immediately is people will say, "Oh my gosh, you? Me too." Let's pray for each other. Let's encourage each other. Or, you know, I used to struggle with that, and here's some things that have really helped me move beyond struggling with that. Ah, oh, thank you. That's so, that's so helpful. So Life isn't about sin management. That's why we don't focus on sin. It's about living into the gift of our salvation. Living into the gift of our salvation, one day at a time, now and forever. That means we focus on Christ, on the things above. Therefore, we can understand the things that we experience in this world. Take heart. Christ is fulfilling His promise to bring us into the new creation. It's happening right now. As you listen to this message, as you respond to it, as you open the Word of God, as you pray, as you fellowship with believers, as you use your gifts to bless others in Jesus' name. See, this is part of your expression and your experience of the new creation. That's why in the night that He was betrayed, Jesus took bread and broke it, saying, this is my body given for you. That's why He took a cup and blessed it saying, this is my blood, the new covenant in relationship with me for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Take time to experience Holy Communion with the people around you today sometime. What a gift it is to know that we are in Christ and Christ is in us. So, Lord Jesus, I thank you for this message of hope from your word that allows us to reflect on it together, to explore the implications of it, to understand the contours of it, the resources embedded in your gospel to see all the ways practically and functionally that you're showing us how to put to death, the old nature that died when we accepted you and were baptized into you, how to rid ourselves of these things that are so counterproductive because they distort your image in us and they offend you and and hurt people. Lord, we know it's not just about trying harder and doing it better. We know it's about focusing on you and things do get better. and We find, uh, more capacity uh, to live into the power of your resurrection in us. Thank you and praise you for this in Jesus' holy name. Amen. So may the Lord bless you and keep you today. May the Lord lift up his countenance upon you, shining his face on you, that you can bask in his glory, that you can experience his love in practical, functional ways, now and forever. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.